And then I got to my favorite chapter. Six times I've lost my shoes while wearing them. A list that shouldn't exist. <laughs> Do you know what's funny? What? All the books we're talking about today. That's right. Everyone is a comedian today. This is the Boundless Book Club from the Emirates Literature Foundation in Dubai. And today we are talking about books that make us go. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I am Annabelle. And I'm Andrea. We'll also be joined by the marvellous Naji Bhakti, author of Between Beirut and the Moon, which is a coming-of-age novel set in Beirut where danger and comedy lurks around every corner. But first, what book made you lol this week? I've been getting my lols from Something I Said by Ben Bailey Smith, which is, I, I should warn you, it's a middle school book, but it's actually really funny for adults too if you are still reading books with your middle school kids it's great for everybody in this book we have our main character who is 13 year old Carmichael Taylor and he is kind of trying to carve out his niche in school and in life by making people laugh and he really feeds off these laughs it keeps him keeps getting him into trouble with teachers and parents and so on when they have a geography lesson outside and a bird poops on the teacher and he can't resist uh, making a joke out of it and saying, see, even nature hates geography. So he keeps getting into trouble because he just cannot resist. And uh, does he go too far? Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so he is scraping by in school. The, the joke I just repeated is fairly tame, but then there is he, the only thing he does well in school is English because he has this passion for words and for literature. And he's a bit of a linguistic gymnast and very clever, obviously, which keeps getting him into trouble. So he's, it starts right at the beginning. He gets himself into trouble. And then to redeem himself, he's asked to take part in the school talent show doing a spoken word performance. And that is where it quickly gets derailed because he's on stage in front of everybody and the performance isn't going the way he wants it to. So he opens his mouth and out comes fairly cutting comedy, which isn't working out in his favor. And like any 13 year old, he's quite insecure. So he's really um, craving the validation that he gets from comments on social media when this goes viral, which of course isn't helping him with the school. And then it all just goes off and it's there's lots of family dynamics and sort of friendship dramas and moral dilemmas and though it's not full of actual jokes the tone is really funny throughout and uh, it sort of mixes clever wordplay with some really slapstick moments in this particular section He's in trouble, as always, with his parents. And they're saying, look how helpful your older brother is. He's just carried shopping in. Can you grab the last few bags of shopping? And he is really angry. And, and that's when it happened. I wasn't proud of it. I just didn't see it coming. But the temperature in my body had skyrocketed. And as sometimes happened to me at home, I was lost for words. Words, my only superpower. This house was like my kryptonite. I was left with nothing but raw anger. So it just, it just happened. That's right. I kicked a chicken. <laughs> oh no, that's terrible. Poor chicken. I know. As you probably guessed, there wasn't a lit wasn't literally a defenseless live chicken 
chicken having an afternoon stroll through the Taylor residence, minding its own business, only to find itself mercilessly punted down the hallway by a malevolent, foul-hating, red-headed boy. But it was literally a chicken, a plucked and very much already deceased chicken. Anyway, it carries on. It's just, it's really funny. I recommend. Sounds great. Yes. What have you got? What made you laugh this week? Uh, well, Jenny Lawson made me laugh this week. And I think she's made me laugh online before, though I've not really put two and two together and realised that it was her. So Jenny Lawson's got a new memoir out. Uh, her previous two are quite popular. They hit the New York Times bestseller list, uh, Furiously Happy. And oh, I, the name of the other one escapes me. Let's pretend this never happened. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and pretend it, it never happened <laughs> pretend that never happened uh, I couldn't have planned that better so Broken is the name of the latest one she's an award-winning blogger writer journalist and she's renowned for her irreverent humor her stuff is great on Twitter it's very funny she's often about sharing stuff that ends up being quite self-deprecating things that you will like about her she has a cat named Hunter S Tomcat she has a dog called Dorothy Barker which I thought you would appreciate <laughs> And she's even christened a backyard owl that she tried to befriend, Owly McBeal. There are lots of fun animal stories <laughs> in this, which I think anyone will enjoy. But among all of this, you know, irreverent humor is the fact that she's talking about some pretty dark stuff. Uh, she's had a year, years long battle with depression, anxiety and chronic illness. And in between chapters like Six Times I've Lost My Shoes While Wearing Them, a, a list that shouldn't exist. Samuel L. Jackson is trying to kill me. And that time I got haunted by lizards with bike horns. There are also chapters like an open letter to my health insurance company. And I'm not going outside anymore. And the things we do to quiet the monsters. So there's always, it always feels like even when she's telling you something absolutely hilarious, it's other side of a coin that is actually really serious and really quite dark. She, in this book, talks about going through this uh, experimental depression treatment, which actually sounds quite scary. It's called transcranial magnetic stimulation. It sends electrical currents to specific parts of your brain and she finds it quite helpful. Uh, but she's got this battle with the insurance company and things that they won't cover for her. And that particular chapter actually starts with, sometimes I think you're trying to kill me. And it's really heartbreaking to read, but she ticks, you can just feel her anger. And then she'll start talking about, you know, taxidermied alligators and you'll be like uh, laughing again. One of my favorite bits of the book is when she talks about this tweet that she sent that went viral, which was about, ultimately the whole thing is about how these awkward moments, rather than keeping them to ourselves, if we share them with one another, it's just a beautiful example of humanity coming together with our universal sense of cringe. And she went to an airport <laughs> and the airport cashier said, have a nice flight. And she said, you too. <laughs> she said and I can never come here again and after that all of these tweets that people had sent came flooding through and some of my favorites I will read out to you I talk fast and once told a customer at a bookstore th that a new novel had made the man lick a bong list <laughs> instead of the man book a long list some of my favorites are about funerals as well a friend's grandmother avoids funerals because instead of regrets, she gets too nervous and congratulates the family. <laughs> uh, that was one of oh, my favourites. That's um, really funny. 
uh, noticed a blind man approaching me, wasn't sure where I was, so called out, on your right. I was on his left and he corrected me. Uh, there you go. That's just, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's brilliant. Yeah, so it's really wonderful for anybody who's going through any of these things. So if you've got depression, you've got anxiety or chronic illness, and you want someone who gets it and to kind of have a friend to chat to, but also not actually talk to, because if you've got social anxiety, you don't really want to be going and actually speaking to anybody. So a book is perfect. Then this is great. If you don't have any of these issues, but you want to read something completely lighthearted that will make people wonder why the hell you're giggling on public transport for no reason, then Broken is a great book to read. Would you say it's for anyone who ever called the teacher mum? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I think there's an entire section as well that's excuses for like not going out. <laughs> I could do with that chapter. That sounds excellent. Because there's only so many times you can wash your hair in one week. So we're going to be speaking to Naji Bhakti, who's the author of Between Beirut and the Moon. It's hilarious, but also quite dark as well. Uh, it's satire. It was nominated for the for the 2021 Bollinger Everyman Woodhouse Prize, which is awarded for funny books. And it is about a young boy coming of age in post-Civil War Beirut. There's conflict, there's comedy lurking around every corner, as I think we mentioned. The book starts with this character, Adam. He wants to become an astronaut. But who has ever heard of an Arab on the moon is what everyone around him keeps saying. He battles with his father, who's a book hoarding journalist uh, with a penchant for writing eulogies. So already you're, this, uh, the atmosphere in his house is, you know, there's, there's death everywhere. But he manages to make that funny. Uh, his closest friend, Basil, is a Druze who is said to worship goats and believe in reincarnation and a host of other misfits and miscreants he interacts with in a city attempting to recover from years of political and military violence. So there's death, there's depression, there's violence. But because Naji is brilliant, he manages to also make this incredibly hilarious. I think it's because of the incongruity of the situation and all of the shenanigans that, that he and his friends get up to at school in the context of all of this horrific stuff that's happening around them. It's kind of like, well, kids are still kids and they're still going to play pranks on each other and they're still going to get into fights and they're still going to do ridiculous things. And then every now and then you're reminded because of something that happens in the book that, oh, right, in, there's a lot of conflict and violence going on. And it kind of catches you by surprise. So there are near-death encounters. There are laugh-out-loud escapades. And it's just a really wonderful coming-of-age story. The language is great. And I've been recommending it to everybody. That's fantastic. And really excited that we're going to be speaking to Naji right now. So am I. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Naji. We actually read your... Uh, book Between Beirut and the Moon for our foundation book club and um, we had a great chat about it and as we were discussing it the main thing that I want to know is how long were you working on this what was the inspiration behind it what was that writing journey like and also what was it like being nominated for the Woodhouse Prize quite a few questions there <laughs> yeah I'll do my best to answer them thank you for having me it was a, it was a long journey really this this is uh, this was my debut novel. It started back in 2011, so a good uh, 10 years ago. Um, and this was when I when I'd first moved to, um, to the UK, to London. 
and I was doing my master's course at the time. And I wrote only a, a, a very small chapter about uh, 4,000, 5,000 words or so. And that was the beginning, I suppose, of the novel. It was very, very rough draft and not very developed uh, quite yet, I suppose. But that was the general idea, the gist of it, of uh, uh, the coming of age, a uh, young boy, and uh, and the, around the, the setting of 2006 and, and onwards, uh, the July War uh, between Israel and, and Lebanon. Um, and that then later developed into the novel over a period of about eight or nine years. Um, and I suppose that, that most of the writing was done, or a good chunk of the writing was done outside of, of Beirut, outside of Lebanon. And this was in London or Lancaster, where I, where I did my PhD. And again, I think that that ties in with, with although I think we'll come to that a little bit later on, uh, the idea of, of humour and, and why or how that was facilitated. So it took about eight years altogether to answer your question, uh, to, to, <laughs> to uh, finally write the, the novel. Uh, what was your other question? Was it to do with the, um, the, the Woodhouse Prize? Uh, that, that, was, uh, that was lovely, of course. It was, it was great to be part of that short list of, of, uh, of amazing writing. I think the humour uh, in, in all the novels is, um, is brilliant and, and very different uh, in many ways. Um, and, but certainly, certainly glad to be in amongst them. And I think while I was doing my PhD, one of the things that, that I noticed was that humour wasn't necessarily part of the post-war Lebanese literature landscape, uh, at least not the immediate post-war Lebanese literature landscape. And so to have that become become part of part of uh, Lebanese literature, uh, the idea of, of employing humor and, and so on, and to be recognized uh, within the shortlist is certainly something that I'm, I'm proud of. Are you yourself drawn to humor in literature when you pick up a book to read? Is that something that resonates with you generally? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and it doesn't matter where in the world that um, that writing comes from. I think humour employed, especially in relation to some challenges, um, and 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 usually that is the case in, in literature. I think it um, it it certainly resonates uh, with me, and I've always find that being able to move through the spectrum of emotions from despair or sadness or rage or anger through to uh, humour. I think it's uh, effective and it, it certainly draws me in. I mean, it, it, uh, certain examples I can think of, for instance, Paddy Clark, Ha Ha Ha, the Roddy Doyle's um, novel, that was a, a big influence uh, on me. Uh, I it was, it was written about, it's again, it's a coming of age about a young boy around the, the troubles in Ireland. And, I, and yeah, because of the style of the narration, because of it being the voice of a child throughout, it's, um, there's a lot of room for humour, even though the child doesn't quite understand what's going on around him and all the violence that's happening and uh, his brother's eventual death um, and, and so on. And, and that's all very tragic and sad, but, uh, but the voice makes it so that it's, it's also funny at the same time. So in, in 2018, I was reading that the prize that you were nominated for didn't announce a winner because apparently they they couldn't find anything that they thought was comic enough to warrant a win 
So they rolled it over to 2019. And then in response to that, Jonathan McAloon wrote this great article about how his opinion was the best comedy is found in dark, unhappy novels and that they just weren't looking in the right place. And he gave a list of all of these great, really tragic novels dealing with very difficult subject matter that also had amazing pieces of humor in them. Do you agree with that? And and I'm asking this as well because I'm I'm wondering if there are some if, is there some subject matter that you think shouldn't be satirized? And I'm also wondering because you're writing about something that is quite sensitive. Over that 8 year period of writing this, was it always intended to be satirical? Were you sometimes thinking okay, I have to treat this with a lot of seriousness? Were you at any point criticized by readers who'd gone through this thinking that okay, you can't laugh about this? Yeah, I mean those those are uh, great questions. I think I did read that piece and and I um, I I do very much agree with it. I I think that I mean, I think they got a lot of publicity off of not actually giving it to, to someone that's here. I think it made yeah. a... But I do agree with the sentiments of that article, uh, generally speaking, that the, the idea that uh, the best sort of humour does come from dark places and the ability to, in a way, I think humour serves a, a lofty purpose when it comes to those sorts of places or the, the, those sorts of uh, experiences because it allows for discussing a lot of that subject matter. I mean, in the case of Lebanon, the idea of the, the civil war and the fact that there was no national reconciliation after the civil war, and that it was very much and still is a, a subject that's not considered or deemed to be exactly um, the stuff that you would you talk with your parents about or with your friends and so on. It's still very sensitive subject matter, but uh, but humor certainly helps bring all that to, to the, um, to the dinner table and 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 you can you can talk about it and you can uh, joke about it and that can lead to a more serious and necessary discussion so it's, a, it's i don't see humor as a way to run away from uh the, the subject matter or to hide from it or to shield yourself from it but uh, but rather to bring that bring all of that uh to light and to to discuss it one way or the other and i think the biggest issue in lebanon was that we weren't talking about the civil war and the the, the period in the 90s when there was this boom after the the um the civil war in lebanon that period came off the back of the lebanese just burying everything and and uh, refusing to talk about the civil war and trying to pretend as if it never happened and moving forward very quickly and um and i think that obviously came back later on came roaring back in in 2005 2006 and, and onwards and now we see the effects of it with the, with the economic crisis and and obviously the Beirut port explosion and the same people uh, same warlords being in charge and I think had we had that discussion, it might certainly have have helped us not get to this phase. And I'm not saying that you know humor was was the was the solution to all of that. And if we'd sat down and laughed at that, it, we'd have been fine. But um, but I think certainly humor and literature does help bring that subject uh, to light and and help us. Um, discuss it and talk about it, which we certainly need to be doing. You wrote this in your second language, I believe. Yes. So could you, would you ever have written this in Arabic or would it just not have been the same book? Um, yeah, exactly. I don't think it would have been the same book at all. I've been asked about translation and so on. And I do think it would be a little bit difficult because um, much of the humor is also built on or based on the fact that this is an English readership and they 
in that sense, do not know all that there is to know about Lebanese culture. And so the narrator is very much aware of this and, and plays on the fact that this is someone, the reader, the presumed reader, is someone who's not um, as um, well-versed in Lebanese culture. Uh, and, and there's a lot of jokes that come out of that. And not, this is not to say that Lebanese readers or, or Arab readers who are also bilingual or who speak English or Anglophone, uh, that they are not, so, that they are somehow excluded. Not at all. They, I think that they are sort of in on the joke um, as well. They're you know, standing behind the reader, standing behind the, the narrator and sort of laughing at the way that he's trying to portray a certain element of Lebanese culture. And I think, as you say, that if it were to be translated into Arabic, some of that would be lost because the, the, the presumed reader then would be an Arab speaker and there wouldn't be that um, that dynamic, I suppose. I, I was really interested to know how much you relate to Adam, because I know that there are some similarities. And I was wondering, actually touching on something Annabelle asked about earlier, I was wondering if because you feel quite a lot of affinity with Adam, it means that the question of sensitivity readers wouldn't be so relevant because actually a lot of the things that you are presenting in a humorous way are experiences that you that are they're your experiences just in a fictional format um yeah i mean so it's it's definitely the case that you write about what you know and and um as you say uh, some of those experiences uh, i went through myself or something similar to them and uh, and certainly you know i experienced the 2006 war the the um, 2008 uh, armed internal conflict and and so on and that is that is what i write, end up writing about in the novel it wouldn't be entirely true to say that it's it's autobiographical it isn't but there, a lot of the stuff that actually goes on i i'm, I'm afraid I don't, I don't have the same sort of exciting uh, life that Adam leads but um, it's certainly uh, true that in this sense I am I'm writing about a Lebanon that I'm that I'm very familiar with that I grew up in and so yeah Adam is very much a product of that. Are you working on a new book at the moment? Yes I am uh, and again it's set in uh, in Beirut Lebanon of course um, and it's the idea it's in, it's still in the early stages I'm afraid but it, the idea is a about it's about a publishing house uh, that's set in um, in Beirut, and it's about this crumbling publishing house that's uh, that's going out of business, as most publishing houses in Beirut are. Um, and it, it's about this idea of of um, this individual who comes back to Beirut, uh, having left it a few years earlier, in an attempt to salvage something from this publishing house, and 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 yes, has to confront all of these uh, demons left behind and, and so on. So that's that's all I'm afraid I can I can tell so far. It's great. Is this publishing house in any way related to? Because uh, didn't Adam's dad try and start a publishing house in the book? It's not yeah. related. It's not like a sequel. No, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a sequel, but it's. It's, that's that's partly where the idea came from. It's something I I wanted to explore in the um, in the first novel, but I just didn't have the space or the time, I guess, and and I moved on very quickly from that. So it's something that I, I'd like to come back to and um now. Okay, can't wait can't wait to read that one. Um, <laughs> Thank you. In in terms of uh, similarities between yourself and the main character. I, I was also wondering, did you also want to be an astronaut when you grew up? <laughs> did you have this conflict between like people wanting you to be a certain thing and you wanting to be something else? That The latter part, 
that certainly rings true for me. I, yeah, I never, I never actually dreamed of becoming an astronaut. I loved space, but I, I didn't think traveling through it was my sort, my my thing. I, but um, yeah, it, it's certainly true that people wanting you to be something and then you are turning out to be something else. So that that's certainly something I'm familiar with. I think this, in terms of the similarities between myself and Adam, the idea of uh, being born of a mix mixed marriage or interfaith marriage. That's the, I suppose, the biggest similarity. And I wrote Adam with those experiences in mind and the idea of people, as you grow up, people expecting you to sort of behave in certain ways or adhere to certain creeds or certain ways of life or ideas of, of, uh, of how to behave or who to be. Um, and that certainly I had to negotiate and navigate as I grew older, you know, and to understand who I wanted to be and, and person that I uh, wanted to become. And that certainly is something that I wrote into Adam as well, partly playing on the idea of, of being an astronaut uh, for, <laughs> for humor sometimes and, and for substance. This is the end, my friends. We would love to hear from you about which books have made you laugh recently. Just ping us an email on comms at emiratesliftfest.com. We'll be back again in two weeks, but for now, I want to leave you with this. Two books met after a long time, and one of them says, you look so much thinner. Thanks, says the other one. I've had my appendix removed.